Our Father, we are just so grateful for this opportunity to gather, to be instructed by your word. Father, we pray that you would continue to cause our hearts uh, to be inclined to your testimonies, not to selfish gain, self-service, but rather the service of you through our worship of you and our service of one another is an overflow of our worship of you. And so, Father, we pray that in this hour, as we consider uh, this important topic of serving the suffering, that you would uh, grant us uh, further wisdom, understanding into your word and practically how to bring that home to love one another well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you remember in the past weekend, we took a look at the church as a primary context for growth and change. And our focus there was primarily Ephesians, um, where we looked a lot at chapter four, the change chapter. And so our focus in that was really how do we pursue holiness in the context of the local church? How do we pursue sanctification together in dealing with sin and pursuing righteousness? But as most of us, I think, are well aware of, sanctification also oftentimes involves suffering. And so how does the Lord sanctify us, set us apart, make us more like Christ in the context of suffering? Uh, Most of us would absolutely prefer not to have to deal with suffering. Uh, But the Lord, in his wisdom, sees that as a primary means in which to help us see our need for Christ, the gospel, and to trust him, to lean upon him all the more. And so we're going to take a look at the topic of suffering this morning. Romans 12:15 says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, just out of curiosity for those of you who do formal counseling, how many of you have had somebody come to you for formal counseling because their rejoicing is just simply out of control? <laughs> I mean, they've got a major issue with rejoicing. Just just can't handle it anymore. It's too much. Or those around them have told them you rejoice too much, go get help. Okay. <laughs> so probably hasn't happened, right? How many of us, though, have had people come to us because they're overwhelmed by their suffering and they need help, they need guidance, they need hope? And so I think you see the relevancy of the topic for today. Uh, our focus today is in part the latter uh, part of 1 Thessalonians 5.14, where Paul urges them to admonish the idol, the unruly, the idol. That's kind of what we focused in on our last weekend together. Uh, But then encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And so that's what we're going to focus mainly on today is the latter half of this verse. Who are the faint-hearted? Who are the weak? How do we encourage? How do we help them? And how do we demonstrate God's steadfast love and patience towards them in the midst of their suffering? And so that's that's where we're going. Um, and so we suffer. We are surrounded by people who are suffering. Um, obviously, this is a big part of our counseling ministry, our one another ministering. And we want to learn how to come alongside those people with much compassion. Uh, again, I, I mentioned this, this. This presentation, so to speak, was put together several weeks ago. Uh, our own church has gone through uh, really a year of suffering, just a lot of suffering. And we decided as elders to be appropriate to just take one of our Sunday school hours and let's just address the obvious. There are people around us who are suffering and our people want to help each other in the midst of that suffering. But how do we do that? And oftentimes we don't help because we just don't know how. And so we need to understand suffering is a real thing. It's a big thing. Um, even in our church and, and through the counseling ministry, I'm just going to give you a, a picture of the backdrop to this. And you're going to be able to relate to this, no doubt. Um, in, in just a matter of weeks, we had a family who lost a 26-year-old son to suicide. The next day, another family lost a 15-year-old child to suicide. One family lost an 8-year-old child to a terrible tragedy. A husband suddenly lost his wife while he himself was struggling with very difficult health issues. A widow was diagnosed with breast cancer and going through that process of treatment. A father was diagnosed with stage four cancer. A husband since July digressed 
uh, from one illness to another with terrible suffering. And we just did his funeral last Saturday. A wife separated from her husband and discovering he was being unfaithful. We have in our church some young, uh, wonderful Ukrainian ladies who are here because of the suffering that's taking place in their country. Um, some of us, no doubt in this room, suffer daily with chronic health issues, right? It's just ongoing suffering. Some of us in this room, no doubt, suffer from difficult relationships. Perhaps somebody in your home, perhaps a distant relative, um, workplace, difficult relationships. And just yesterday morning, uh, I was informed that my neighbor, a great guy, a great couple, uh, his wife has been diagnosed again with cancer. They're going Monday for surgery. And so it's all around us. Suffering surrounds us. And so I think you, you therefore understand um, the need for a focus, a right understanding of suffering, what we can do um, to honor the Lord and to benefit others with it. And the reality of it is suffering is real. And we need to remember as biblical counseling, suffering has names. These are real people with real lives, with real relationships. And so loving those who are suffering involves weeping with those who weep along with encouraging uh, the one another's, the one anothering passages that we find throughout the scripture. And so I'm just going to say this up, uh, this up front. Um, one hour on the topic of suffering is not going to do justice to it, right? There's just no way that we can cover the whys, the, all the, the intricate details of that. And so this is not going to be comprehensive. Um, also, there's no way we can cover every wisdom uh, issue related to serving the suffering. Okay. And that's hopefully what we're getting in the course of advanced tracks over the years is various topics, various ways people suffer and, and helping you with that. But today's going to be more general. And the reality of it is too is, is my past struggles with suffering, my present struggles with suffering are ultimately trivial compared to what many other people have gone through. And so I'm not able to relate to the depth of suffering that some are able to, other than walking alongside uh, many who have endured much suffering. And one other thing I want you to note on your handout, there are some of the, the points there in italics. And what that means is these came um, from a family who does know much suffering. In our church, we have uh, the Phillips family. Uh, they were previously missionaries in Tanzania. Uh, even while there, had a daughter who had leukemia, had to come back. She survived that. They struggled with malaria. Uh, the wife started having chronic health issues. They had to come off the mission field back to the U.S. A son, um, late high school and college, uh, also then diagnosed with leukemia. Uh, went through that battle, survived that. Um, now has a, an aging father who has dementia. It's an enormous amount of suffering. That's not everything. And so I've asked them to give me feedback of things that were helpful, biblically helpful to them in the midst of their suffering. And I think you're going to find those helpful as you consider how to come alongside others. So that'll be kind of dispersed more towards the end of our time together today. So those things in italics are from the Phillips family. All right, let's start out with the definition of suffering. What is suffering? And as I started this, that was hard to put into a one sentence definition. Because it's so broad, so comprehensive, so deep, so devastating. What is suffering? And so a dictionary uh, gave this definition of suffering. It's the state of undergoing pain, distress, or hardship. And certainly that would be a good definition, a good description. Uh, there's a great book out by Dan McCartney. Uh, and he notes in considering the scriptures and the word suffering as it's used throughout. Uh, in the Old Testament, the word suffering oftentimes uh, is used and defined as affliction, trouble, oppression, and grief. And we see that throughout the Old Testament. In the New Testament, suffering, he says, goes beyond pain and always refers to oppression or something caused by wickedness. And so McCarthy notes that suffering most often refers to Christ's sufferings or the suffering that Christians experience because they belong to Christ. All right. And so then he gives this summary definition of the New Testament words for suffering. Suffering is the soul's response to experiencing evil. 
All right. So that said, let's consider some examples of suffering, suffering exemplified. What are some examples of suffering that we, we see throughout the scriptures? Yeah, you got a picture there. That's, that's supposed to be Job. Okay. That's a obvious suffering, immense suffering. Who? Yeah, David. Knew a whole lot of suffering. Joseph. Joseph. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah. Paul. Christ. Christ. Yeah, the ultimate suffering. Stephen. Yeah, martyred. Yeah, what we see is suffering is throughout the whole scriptures, right? And so as, as counselors, we don't have to guess as to what suffering is, what it looks like, or how to help. It's there in the narratives. It's there in, in commands and how to respond. It's all over the scriptures. And, and we see ultimately, where did all this suffering begin? In the garden. The serpent came. Adam and Eve doubted God's word, his goodness. They sinned. They disobeyed. And therefore, evil curse was brought into the world and everything is impacted by it. All of creation groans. And therefore, we are going to know suffering because of sin. Okay? Now, does that mean that all personal suffering is directly correlated to personal sin? And so as counselors, do we need to be really careful there? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, some examples of that um, where it was not a result of sin was Job, right? Job, he, he was not, he did not experience that because of personal sin. Or rather, because Satan was before God, have you considered my servant? And it was for God's glory, his purposes, and, and to show forth his goodness even in the midst of, of suffering. Uh, the blind man in John chapter 9, verses 2 through 3, it says, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Okay, so their assumption is what? He was born blind because of his sin or his parents' sin. Jesus answered, it is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Okay, we need to be very careful as we come alongside people who are suffering, that even if that suffering could in part or maybe as a whole be as a result of their sin, we're looking at them first as those who are suffering. We deal with sin as appropriate in the right timing. But in the midst of the suffering, um, we need to be careful and we need to definitely not assume that their suffering is because of their own personal sin. Okay? So again, gather good data, try to understand what's going on, and then how do we come alongside them in their suffering, whether it's a result of their sin or not. Uh, as we think through that as well, I think through um, the New Testament, what is, actually there's probably a few, but one I'm thinking specifically, um, what parts of the New Testament are written in response to suffering or to address suffering? Peter. Yeah. yeah, you got Peter, right? I mean, it's, it's just for those experiencing immense suffering. And even you look at the book of James, it starts off, consider it. Pure joy, all joy. Who is he talking to? Those who had been dispersed because of, of their faith. And so there's a sense in which because of your faith, because you have been dispersed, because of suffering, here's how you are to live. Here's what your life, your works are to look like so that others may know the glorious Christ in whom you are being persecuted for. Question? Nope, scratching the head. Okay. Um, so let's... Consider, and this was already mentioned, uh, the chief example of suffering in the scripture, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Second uh, Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So what do we learn from that one verse? Did Christ ever sin? So is his suffering because of his sin? But was there a purpose in his sin? Yes. And in his suffering? Yeah, yeah. Good correction. Was there a purpose in his suffering? Yes. That he might, despite our sin, bring us to God. Right? And so in the midst of the greatest suffering, the greatest good was accomplished. We need to remember that. Right? Nothing is wasted in a God who is sovereign. All suffering has a purpose. God is accomplishing some good through it. We may not see it at the time. We may struggle to even believe it, that God can actually make good come out of this, but he does because he is sovereign. 
and he is good. And the cross is our ultimate example of that. So let's consider just briefly three reasons for considering, or two reasons for considering suffering. One, you are called by God to love those who are suffering. Right? That is our calling. That's part of the one anothering. Uh, Martin Luther said this, it is the duty of every Christian to be Christ to his neighbor. Okay, now it doesn't mean literally you become Christ, right? But you are to be Christ-like. They're to know the love of Christ. They're to know grace and truth because of your interaction with them, especially in their suffering. A second reason to consider suffering is that, you know this well, you will experience suffering in your own life. Right? We will suffer and we need to help others in their suffering. And so let's consider then three common questions in regards to suffering. All right. And again, this needs more than an hour just to unpack these three questions of themselves. And we're only going to scratch the surface then. So that's not the purpose of this particular session. But these are going to be three questions that people are going to be asking at some point in regards to their suffering. Number one, where is God? Where is God in the midst of this suffering? What scripture say? Right there. He's omnipresent, right? That's part of who he is. He's everywhere all the time in the fullness of who he is. Think through Psalm 46, um, 1 and 2. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Very what? Present. Where is God in your suffering? Very present. And it's, it's our responsibility to look to him in the midst of that suffering. Second, who is God in the midst of our suffering? Again, scriptures speak to this all over the place. The Psalms are full of this, right? We just talked about God is your refuge. Who is God? He is your refuge. Psalm 18 says God is a rock. Okay, he is a fortress. He is a shield. He is he is so many. He is all that we need in the midst of our suffering. And so who is God? Uh, He is there with us in the fullness of who he is and all that we need. And a third question, what is God's involvement in the midst of suffering? What is God's involvement in the midst of suffering? Okay, a lot of different things. He's sovereign, which means mm-hmm. yeah, he's wholly involved in his sovereignty. He's wholly involved, which then brings us great comfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's God's involvement? Yeah, he's ordained it. Everything has gone through his hands, all the suffering that we experience. And that should be very, very comforting, right? Psalm 23, they go through the valley of the shadow of death, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, God is there and he is the only one who's able to truly bring us comfort. And so how then we answer these three questions really ultimately is going to determine um, our responses to suffering. And there's ultimately only two responses. Either we turn away from God or we turn to God. And so as good biblical counselors, obviously, which direction do we want to encourage our counselors to go? Where there's the only hope and only real help, right? It's, it's to God. But first, let's consider the temptation of those that um, might turn away from God in the midst of their suffering. What that might look like at first there is uh, denying the suffering. Okay, some just want to pretend it just doesn't exist or some very well know it exists. But because of the shame of it, they don't want anybody else to know. Therefore, others come alongside and help them. Okay, so you think of sometimes examples of abuse where there's much suffering. But because of the shame of it or the fear, should this come out, the additional danger that might be there. And so sometimes um, they deny the suffering, uh, perhaps to others. Another, I would say, common response is anger in the midst of suffering, either external or internal. Um, and so rather than trusting in the providence of God and the priesthood of Christ, uh, they may look at their difficult circumstances and ultimately accuse God of wrongdoing. 
God, if you are sovereign, why did you? Or why didn't you? All right? And so they're angry at God because his ways weren't in line with their ways. Their purposes were comfort. His purposes is conformity to Christ. But what's their focus? Self, right? And, and rather than submitting to, to his will in the midst of that. Easier said than done, right? But the reality of it is, when you've gone, undergone much suffering, probably this has been a temptation, probably it will be, and we know that others experience this. In fact, Robert Jones uh, wrote a booklet called Angry at God, a little booklet, and he says this in there. He says, we want what we want when we want it. And when God does not deliver, we judge him. All right. Not long ago, I talked to an individual in, in much suffering. And, uh, and this individual had turned away from the church. And in essence, God had not lived for God because of something that happened in the context of a church. And he was ultimately angry at God. And so never went back to church again. Okay, was that helpful in his life? No. And so ultimately he was angry at God, though he didn't use those words directly. When you start asking questions, really he had issues with God, therefore he had issues with God's people. And he wasn't going to go and, and, uh, and seek to follow Christ in the context of the church. So another response to suffering, self-destruction. All right, so some will try to override their emotional pain by turning to the remedies of the world that may, yes, provide some temporary relief, uh, but ultimately they can turn to these things as a substitute for Christ, right? And only what God can provide. And so they may look to self-remedies for hope and help rather than to God where that is actually found. Another response to suffering is feeling guilty, but not addressing it. Again, I saw this uh, not too long ago with the husband uh, who knew he was guilty of being harsh, but rather than seeking to address his own heart, he wanted to blame his spouse, wanted to blame others. Okay? And so a sense of, of guilt, but not taking ownership and addressing personal guilt. And so guilt must be dealt with biblically or else it leads to complicating issues uh, that can involve as well response to suffering preoccupation. Okay, in this suffering, one can become so consumed with self-preservation that they don't seek the Lord or consider others. They isolate themselves. They don't look to the Lord. Psalm 121, 1 through 2 um, should become very personal, though. It says, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so in the midst of all these potential responses, what we want them to do is lift their eyes above their circumstances to the God who is over all these things and to know that they need to look to him from where help truly uh, is available. And so rather than turning from God and suffering, one encourage others, then second, to turn to God. All right, ultimately, how do we turn to God? We do so by trusting trusting God. In the Psalms, often we see the psalmist uh, describing some great affliction, some great injustice, how the wicked are getting away with everything, and God's people, uh, it's not going well for them. Uh, and yet, as we read through most of those psalms, um, eventually they take their eyes off their circumstances, they lift them up, to God and who he is, and then they start rejoicing and praising God and have thanksgiving rather than complaints, right? Remembering that he is sovereign. He will make good come out of these things. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, uh, a, a, really a key verse in helping people through suffering is, is to simply trust the Lord. Um, and simply, we say simply, it's really not that simple, right? It's an act of faith. Asking the Lord to give me faith. I believe, help my unbelief in the midst of this. Trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not in your understanding, all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight even through the valley of the shadow of death, even through the suffering. He has a purpose for that. Considering trusting God, Jerry Bridges, and this is a great resource um, for suffering. Uh, the original title was Trusting God Even When Life Hurts. Uh, great book that considering who is God, um, both his ability to help, his uh, goodness to help, and uh, what's the third? There's three attributes. 
Yeah, and there's wisdom to help. He knows how to help, right? And so, great resource. Uh, I encourage you to read that. But he says this, God is not a, or God is not a passive, wait, that should be trust. That's a typo. I'd love to blame it on somebody else. It's my computer though. So, trust is not a passive state of mind. It is a vigorous act of the soul by which we choose to lay hold on the promises of God and cling to them despite the adversity that at times seeks to overwhelm us. Okay, so trust isn't passive, it's vigorous. We have to go to the Word, recall who God is, pray that He would help us to grasp that, to hold on to that, and to live accordingly. Another aspect of turning to God is accepting truths through the lens of His sovereign care. So what are some of the truths that our souls must cling to in the midst of our suffering? Somebody quoted one even before the class started. It's temporary. <laughs> it's temporary. Okay. Isn't it? Yeah. Romans 8, 28, 29. It's going to work out for our good, for the ultimate good. Yeah, his presence is with us. Mm-hmm. He's ordained it, so ultimately this will be for, for his glory. Yeah, it's Romans 8, towards the end, never leave us or forsake us. Even before that, Romans was it 8, 18. Um, isn't worth comparing to the uh, eternal glory that will be revealed to us. Okay? All sorts of, of promises and truths in the midst of suffering that we need to hold on to. Because if we just look at the present, there, there seems to be no hope. But if we look at the God who's working in the present situations, then there's lots of hope. And so, again, we, we need to trust him according to the truths that we see in, in the scriptures. It, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he understands our suffering. So we see that in Hebrews, right? He's our sympathetic high priest. Mm-hmm, yeah. One author put it this way, uh, everything we experience is already filtered through the loving hands of our Heavenly Father. And, and that's a truth that we need to hold on to. Uh, a third aspect of trusting God, turning to God, is having a divine perspective on things. And so, Second Corinthians 4.17, for this light, momentary affliction. Now, does it often feel like that? Does it often feel light? Does it often feel momentary? Now, when is this going to end? Right? For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as bad as it is right now is as long as this seems to be going on it's not even worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal okay the suffering is not eternal for god's people it is not eternal it's temporary it's transient your best life is not now and it's the suffering, you certainly know that. And you know your best life is to come when there is no more sin, there is no more suffering. And referring to 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, A.W. Pink gives an encouraging word when he says, afflictions are light when compared with what we really deserve. They are light when compared with the sufferings of the Lord Jesus. But perhaps their real lightness is best seen by comparing them with the weight of glory which is awaiting us. How often do we think about that? We, we don't often live with an eternal perspective. And oftentimes we don't suffer with the eternal perspective. Did Paul suffer with eternal perspective? Yeah. And he suffered a lot, did he not? Imprisoned for years, beaten multiple times, left for dead, stoned, shipwrecked, and go on and on, bitten by a snake. Suffered immensely for the sake of Christ. And yet, who wrote this? By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? The Apostle Paul. He knew that all this suffering in Philippians was only going to serve to advance the gospel. And that was for the good of his own soul, for the good of everybody else, and for the glory of Christ who deserves his glory. Right? And yet, sometimes we lose sight of the eternal aspect. Another aspect of turning to God is seeking to glorify God in the midst of suffering. And obviously, as we're counseling, we want to bring them to this understanding, but this may not be what you're going to talk to them about in your first meeting, right? Depending on the severity of what's going on, 
but as they understand God's sovereignty, uh, they need to understand this is an opportunity, right? And that's what Paul saw it as, an opportunity. This is an opportunity to advance the gospel. This suffering, lots of people are watching. Am I going to complain? Or am I going to point them to the one who is sovereign over this and who has brought about the greatest good at the cross through the greatest suffering? Am I going to point them to where life and hope, forgiveness, eternal life is found? All right. And so we, we help them think through how to, to use this suffering for God's glory. Just an example of that. It always comes to mind. Pilgrim's Progress. <laughs> I didn't plan this. It just sticks with you. So you get into Vanity Fair, right? They buy only the truth. What's the result? Persecuted. What's the result of that? Faithful is martyred. Burn at the stake. What's the result of that? Hopeful, through his testimony, comes to saving faith. Okay? And then there's a sense which that's the example of Stephen in, in, in the New Testament. No doubt the Lord used that uh, in Paul's life yeah, early on. Um, and how many people throughout history... Um, have come to Christ because they've observed the suffering of others and they've seen evil overcome with good in the testimony of Christ. And so seeking to glorify God in the midst of suffering. So suggestions in for coming alongside, for serving the suffering, considering how suffering can affect others. This is important as we come alongside others. Um, one, Oftentimes, especially up front, especially in light of, of deep suffering or sudden suffering, crisis situations, um, there's just a lot of difficulty in, in making decisions. And when a tragedy strikes, um, when physical, physical pain perhaps is severe, it can become very difficult for somebody to even think clearly, right? Everything's just a fog. You probably hear it. It's just a fog. Um, and, and so how do we come alongside them And so a question for consideration, um, which is more helpful to somebody's suffering, especially when it's immense, to, to ask them this question, let me know, or, or make the statement, let me know if there's anything I can do to help you, or is there anything I can do to help? They can't even process anything at the moment, right? And so oftentimes when people are suffering, questions add to their suffering, because they, they want to respond well, but they just can't or they're not going to say things that is where they really need help and so when suffering is immense rather than asking is there any way i can can help oftentimes what you do is just put yourself in their shoes what is it they're going through what are practical things that you could do for them that maybe they're not going to be able to do for themselves but do need to be done what can you take care of and just do it and you may want to validate, you know, whether what you're going to do is actually helpful or not and say, I want to do this for you. Would that be OK? And if they can think of a legitimate reason why, no, you should not do this, but you could do this. Right. And so how often with good intentions and sometimes we don't even mean it, though. Let me know if there's anything I can do to help. Right. Again, that's oftentimes not helpful. I want to help you. I would like to do so in this way. Okay. Or if there's any other way, please let me know. Here's my number. Okay. That's, that's, that's more helpful, especially in the midst of, uh, upfront when there's extreme suffering that takes place. Another, uh, aspect of suffering, how it can affect others is fatigue. Fatigue. Right? Suffering often involves a lack of sleep coupled with just the emotional weariness. They are just absolutely worn out uh, in every way. And so we need to take that in consideration as we come alongside. Uh, one of the things that, that I'll usually say to people up front and make sure it happens is if somebody's in extreme suffering, they have no appetite. Right? They just are not hungry. Their stomach is in knots. The last thing they want to do is eat. But they're going to potentially remain in that stage for several days is that going to help their suffering by not eating? Or is that going to only lead to further fatigue and, in a sense, suffering and lack of further mental clarity? And so providing meals and encouraging them to eat and maybe with family, you know, please put this in front of them, encourage them to take at least a couple bites. Uh, that type of thing is just a practical way to help, providing meals and helping in that way. Uh, sleep problems. Sleep problems. Um, 
depending on the kind of suffering, there may be nightmares that they're having in light of something that's happened. Uh, there may be just an enormous amount of anxiety and fear, and they just can't sleep. And so what's their sleep patterns? How can you help them, encourage them in, in getting sleep? Okay, because again, if we add two or three days with sleepless nights, we've added other suffering to our suffering, right? And so how can we, as best as possible, try to ensure that they're able to get some rest? And so maybe somebody's in the hospital. Uh, you, you find them a place where they can go get rest and you take a shift. Uh, because if they're there in the room with that person who's struggling um, and they don't need to be there at the moment, um, allow them to somehow get some rest. And you know how much rest you get in a hospital, right? <laughs> somebody's coming in every five or ten minutes and, and uh, there's really not a whole lot of rest. And so whatever you can do to help them out with that. Physical problems. Uh, can also result in the midst of suffering, again, weight loss or gain, uh, panic attacks. Um, in, in the midst of one of the recent sufferings we've been involved in, uh, one of the spouse lost too much weight, and, and literally because there was no appetite. And that can, again, lead to other physiological issues and other emotional issues. And so, again, uh, just monitor those things as you can. Another aspect of, of how suffering can affect people is some people want to escape their suffering, not by looking to Christ, not by trusting God, but in some kind of quick fix, right? And, and abuse, alcohol, drugs, uh, whatever it is, they may start to turn to that or turn back to that and then turn to that too extremely. And in the midst of that, uh, become enslaved to that. And so again, what's going on? Where are they turning to? Is this a, an issue for them? Greater susceptibility to temptation with various other sins. And so if there's already been a little bit of struggle there and their body's weak and their mind is weak and this pain is long and difficult, um, which would we rather have, pain or pleasure? And we get sick of the pain, right? And so people can turn to pleasure, illicit pleasure, pleasure they shouldn't be pursuing. And so again, what are the other temptations and how do we come alongside them? in the midst of those temptations, perhaps. Also need to be aware of, of spiritual decline. And so maybe they had a great morning routine. They get up, they have their Bible study with their cup of coffee or chicory or tea or whatever your preferred morning beverage is. And uh, in the Word and, and just fellowshipping with the Lord. But in the midst of the suffering, because they're in the hospital or things are just so hard, they they don't even think to go to the Word. Or they go to the Word and they stare at it and they can't think about the Word because everything else is still spinning in their minds for so long. And, and this becomes a pattern, a habit maybe for two or three weeks or longer. And what once used to comfort them and remind them of who God is and give them encouragement, they're not getting that anymore, right? They're not self-feeding. And so how do we come along somebody like that? And that may involve simply shooting them a text with, with a key promise, um, or I'm praying for you and I'm praying this for you. Or in the, in the course of time, meeting up with them and uh, encouraging them and doing a Bible study with them and praying with them. Something short usually, uh, but just get them back into looking to the Lord, his word, and knowing the benefit and blessing of that. Uh, another aspect to consider um, is a reappearance of unresolved conflicts or problems. And so when someone dies and there was an unresolved conflict, there's probably going to be a little bit of guilt or regret. Or when someone dies and there's already been family tensions extended throughout the years, and maybe various family units, and they all come together for a funeral, right? Sometimes that's a difficult dynamic in itself. And so how do you come alongside the family and maybe help navigate some of that um, and, and help them with that? They may be dreading. A funeral, not just because it's a loved one who's died, but because of all the animosity that's going to arrive at the same place at the same time. And so how do you love them through that? Other common struggles, um, and again, this is just where we, we need to use some discernment. There may be shock going on, denial, stress, numbness, hopelessness, rejection, confusion, depression, fear, judgment, embarrassment. How can we know what an individual person is struggling with in the midst of all this? Yeah, that, that deep question, right? ask. And again, we need to be careful when we ask, right? They may not be a point in their grief of being ready to receive counsel per se. And and we need to be careful not to start counseling them in the midst of immense grief, right? We, we do graciously point them to the word, 
Uh, maybe it's just one verse that we pray for them. We don't open up and do a one-hour counseling session with them. Um, and so, again, just use wisdom and discernment, and as you can, try to get to know what specifically is each person in the struggle struggling with. Because it's going to be different. You can have one household, and they're all responding in a different way, right, depending on their relationship with the Lord and, and where they're at. And so just, again, important to, to try to seek understanding. All right. So next, consider how to serve those who are suffering. Um, there's, there's, of course, always the need to pray for discernment. And so we want to pray for and with them often, teaching them how to, to pray in the course of time if needed. And I think one of the, the beautiful prayers is you have Epaphras, uh, who Paul writes about in Colossians 4.12. Uh, he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. And that is the greatest thing that we can especially initially do. Somebody is undergoing immense suffering is remembering them in your prayers. Uh, Kevin Carson uh, wrote this. I think I shared this with you last time, but it's really good. If you love someone, you will pray for them, especially in their suffering. And the more you pray for them, the more you will love them and really, the more you will know how to love them because the Lord will grant you wisdom and discernment in what that looks like in the midst of their suffering. Now, this is from the Phillips family. Uh, one of the chief things they said in the midst of their suffering, knowing others are praying is very encouraging. All right, so just knowing that people are praying for you in the midst of that is, is so encouraging. The second aspect of serving those who are suffering is appropriate. Be there to grieve with them. Okay, so again, depending on the situation, it may be most appropriate that, that you give time for the immediate family to come alongside the one who is suffering. All right, and even as a pastor, uh, sometimes it's not best for me to be the first person there. Right? Sometimes it's better that I, I give it a few hours or even a day or two, and you just got to gauge those things. Uh, when is appropriate time to to come and visit, uh, depending on the other relationships that are already in place and those that are ministering to them. Um, but that said, we, we want to first engage someone suffering, um, and we want to, to do so not with the attitude of coming ready to fix things, right? Again, not the right perspective, but rather coming to weep with those who weep, okay? That, that's the perspective. S- oftentimes, the best thing you do, especially if somebody has been suffering, is, is not thinking through what you're going to say, though that could be important, but just being there. Just giving them a hug and just crying with them. And, and that, that could be the best counsel, so to speak, that you give. That can be the best way you can love a person in the midst of, of suffering. And so think through, through Job, right? Um, initially, how good were his friends? They were great. Job 2, 11 through 13 says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, okay, evil associated with suffering, they came to show him sympathy and comfort him. There's something in that for us. Why did they come? To show sympathy and to comfort him. And they sat with him on the ground seven minutes before they said something. Seven hours. Wow, that, that's seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word, for they saw that his suffering was very great all right and we need to keep that in mind as well to the extent the suffering goes is to the extent that we're not going to start trying to get into some kind of formal counseling situation right we're just going to grieve and weep with them you'll start to know it when they're ready they'll start ask questions or when you start to probe in with questions um, to let them know you're ready to help walk them through this whatever they need um, offer them what you think they need Um, but again job's friends were great counselors until they started to speak <laughs> initially. And what mistake did they make that we want to never make? Yeah, assumptions. Right? They assumed his suffering was because of his sin. Okay, we've got that now, right? Okay, so let's move on. C, uh, seek to understand current personal sufferings. And so again, we want to avoid making assumptions. Um, and I think we talked about this in a previous weekend, but two words that we often tend to say in the midst of suffering that are oftentimes presumptuous is what? I understand. Okay, and I think we talked about this last time, Proverbs 14.10. 
The heart knows its own bitterness and no stranger shares its joy. Okay, to confirm that in real life experience in today's time from the Phillips family. This is what they wrote. Not helpful saying you get it and understand when you have never been through it. Okay, Um, I've never been through what they've been through and to say, oh, I understand is, is simply not helpful. Okay, it just it can frustrate or whatever else. Uh, another uh, piece of uh, feedback from them, remembering, uh, remember everyone uh, grieves differently. Don't make assumptions. This is coming from those who have suffered immensely. Don't make assumptions when you, th- what you think would help might not be what they would uh, respond to in the same way. Follow their lead about talking about the person, sending pictures, etc. Okay, and then another good one here. Assume they are not okay. Follow up. You know, our tendency may be to assume that oh, they're okay now. You know, so and so ministered to them. Uh, it's, it's two weeks after the fact. Um, just assume they're not okay and check in on them. Is a, a good counsel. Uh, another point: ask simple questions when. They are ready to talk. And a question that I put together is this. To help me know how to pray for you, would you be able to share what you are currently struggling with? Okay, and so really my my offer is to pray for them. How specifically can I pray for you in the midst of what you're struggling with today? That may turn into a counseling scenario or may inform me of where I need to come alongside with some some counseling down the road. And so you're kind of gauging that and seeing how ready, willing, open they are or what they're even able to process in the midst of their suffering. Next, help bear their burdens in tangible ways. Okay, so compassion involves seeing someone struggling and coming alongside. A couple of verses uh, to that end. Uh, Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. First John three eighteen says, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. What might that specifically look like? Some very practical things now. I might provide meals, snacks. Um, and it's often important in these days to, are there any allergies, any dietary restrictions? If you take them a, a whole lot of gluten-full stuff and they're gluten-free and literally have a physical reaction, if they eat gluten-full stuff but there's nothing else to eat and that's what they have, they may eat it and then they're going to feel worse. So that's not really helpful, right? So confirming what's there. And this, this basket you see up there, um, one of our families that lost a loved ones, they were able to, to have a getaway and uh, a group of people in the church just put together some snacks and goodie items for them when they're traveling just as a token of love and uh, let them know we're praying for you. And so simple things like that. Very good. Other items here. Um, it's beautiful to see the church love people. It really is. Breakfast bits, this was from the Phillips family again, things they appreciated. Um, plain yogurt, or uh, yeah, plain yogurt, granola, fresh berries, fresh fruit, honey, bread, sausage, cream cheese mixture. So just, just some of their preference type stuff. And, and to go that extra mile of knowing what they actually would like, would normally eat, is very helpful to them. To change your diet in the midst of all the other changes is not helpful. Um, if they're a coffee drinker, do they like vanilla creamer or do they like hazelnut? I like hazelnut. Can't drink it anymore, but uh, find out what they what they like. And that's just a token of, of showing them the detail of your love for them. It's very simple things like that go a long ways. Freezable meals, that can be a great help, especially weeks or months down the road. You know, they're, they're going to have bad days. They're going to have hard days. Maybe they're doing well and then just boom, it hits them again. And they just don't feel like cooking. But they remember, ah, so-and-so gave me a freezer meal and they put out, stick it in the oven and dinner's done, right? So helpful. And that's maybe more of a long-term thing, but very helpful. Paper goods, I would have never thought of this, but with people coming and going perhaps, do you feel like doing dishes normally anyways? You especially don't feel like doing dishes in the midst of a lot of suffering. So something just throw away. They don't have to do the dishes, right? can be very helpful. Things are going to need... Uh, and this was insightful. I kind of thought about this, but never really thought about it deeply. When bringing food, um, use, where was that? Back up. Is it there? Oh, yeah, very, very bottom. When bringing food, use disposable containers so they don't have to remember who they belong to and get them back to you. 
that's actually wonderful advice. If you think about that, I mean, some of you have probably been given something and, oh, wait, who did this come from? Or then you got to figure out how to get it back to them. And it just adds something to their plate when they really don't need something else. So if possible, disposable dishes. So they don't have to worry about it. Or just tell them, keep it, if you can do that, right? All right, is there anything else that could be done for them, anticipating needs? And especially in, in big, tragic situations, and, and we're doing this at GCC in regards of some of the situations we have, but we've got a core team, right? Um, and that's been helpful in so many ways. One, because there can be so many individuals involved that it's just too much for any one person. And also, somebody's going to fall through the cracks, Right? And somebody's going to have a really busy season of their own sickness and suffering, and they're just not going to be able to follow through well. But when you have a team, you can love them well for an extended period of time. Okay, So again, something to consider in, in bigger tragedies involving multiple people. All right, next, encourage them in time with truths from God's Word. So there's a sense where we want to do that right away. Maybe just a quick prayer for them and in our prayer. Uh, reminding them of who God is and and that they have a, a sympathetic high priest, whatever it may be, that you pray for them. But in the course of time, bring them to important truths. Some of those truths on your outline there, God's presence, right? In the midst of their suffering, God is not absent. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18, therefore, we, uh, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a propitiation for the sins of the people, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, right? And Christ suffered beyond our comprehension. He is able to help those who are being tempted, right? Who are being tried, who are being refined. A second important thing for helping them remember is God's promises. God's promises. In fact, i I'd just gotten a little booklet on Romans 8, um, a little devotional for those suffering. I just got started into it, and somebody came in the office that was suffering, and, and, and they got a copy of it to meditate on, to do his family devotions. I ain't got a chance to finish it yet. But what a blessing, though. Something simple for them to take, to lead their family in, in the midst of, of suffering. And so put those truths out in front, those, those promises that are there. I know with the Phillips family, one thing that was especially helpful is people would text first, I'm praying this for you. I'm praying this for you. And, and she began to make a journal of all those verses. And when she was struggling maybe to have her own quiet time or just needed some hope, she would go back through those verses and be reminded of who God is, his promises, his precepts, and that his people love her. What a blessing. And so remind them of the truth. Remind them of God's promises. Also, his provisions. What are those provisions? Ultimately, his son. All right, what greater provision do we need than that? His word, his grace, and his people. And you can look up those references to encourage you with that. We need to also then uh, help them consider God's purposes. Why God? Why did you do this? Uh, rather, when you take them back to 2 Corinthians 4.17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. God has a purpose in this. Next, God's precepts. What are the precepts of God's word to, to encourage us? Uh, again, count it all joy when you face trials. And that's probably not a verse you're going to quote to them right off the bat, right? But ultimately, at some point, they need to know God is going to use this to further your Christ-likeness and to benefit others and to make his glory known. Uh, six, comforting verses in the face of suffering. So we just put down several verses. As a lot of these came from the Phillips family. These are some of the most comforting verses that they had. And so I think those are on your handout there, right? Uh, and so those are there for you. Encourage you to look those up. Use those in your own ministry to others. And then another consideration, remembering anniversary and report and important dates. Um, and this came from them as well. Uh, and then what I do now, uh, when someone dies, I put it on my calendar. It's nice to have electronic things. And I hit, um, what is it, reminder or repeat. And one year from now, pull it up again, right? And then maybe even give a reminder a week out. And, and that's so important because they remember that spouse's birthday or that anniversary. But if nobody else does, they suffer alone, Right. And so it's an opportunity to encourage them to come alongside them. We forget after a year, the date or whatever else, but really to love somebody well, we want to make note of that and encourage them down the road. Next, provide them with meaningful music related to suffering. 
Uh, two examples of this that, that I would encourage you with. In fact, I've given out quite a few copies of John Erickson Tata there on your left, Songs of Suffering, 25 Hymns and Devotions for Weary Souls. Right? John Erickson Tata, as you know, quadriplegic since, I think, teen years, suffered immensely in pain, almost continuously. How does she deal with it? She sings to the Lord. In the midst of singing to him, wonderful, rich, theological hymns, she finds comfort and rest. And and uh, it's just great little devotionals in that book. And music, as you heard a couple weeks ago, um, is a great way um, to to do counseling sometimes, right? When we have a hard time grasping the word just by reading, sometimes we can play a hymn. We all relate to music well, and that music can stick with us. And I find myself, even this morning, I found myself singing a hymn um, related to, I forget what it was, and I was like, huh. I'm singing a hymn, really. That's pretty cool. And I was encouraged by that, right? And so give them good music. And what we did even recently in the hospital with, with one of the couples who, um, he was dying, she was there, it's difficult. The outcome obviously was not going to be good apart from a miracle. And, uh, you know, she's left there by herself for a good amount of the time. So we gave her today's time Spotify, right? Here's the app, Spotify, sending you the song list from Songs of Suffering that we had made. And so now as she's sitting there alone next to him dying, just thinking whatever thoughts, she can begin to play some great, rich theological hymns to encourage her soul. So use music to encourage others. If they like to read uh, a good, I say good, book on suffering, because there's a lot of books on suffering, and some of them just aren't very good, right? They turn God into something that he's not, or they're, they're just ultimately not even helpful. And so those are some book titles that were given by the Phillips family. Oh, do we? Okay, there we go. Yeah, and those should be on your handout as well, right? I oh, just missed a blank. That's important. All right, gift a good book, a good book on suffering. I don't want you to suffer because your blanks are empty, right? Get all those blanks. So remind me if I miss one. This is very likely that I will. Um, other helpful resources. And this is again a list of things that they have given, and and because. We're out of time. I want to encourage you to just read through that. Um, some things you can do from those who have suffered that would be helpful. Move down to the end under uh, J there. Uh, things that are not helpful. And again, this first one's a preference. Don't give flowers. They die too. Ouch, right? And I've actually thought about that. Somebody gave flowers to us once. I forget what the situation was. And the next day, they're dying. That was dreadful, and it just kind of made things worse. So, again, you kind of got to know the person, right? Flowers for a lot of people is a good thing. For this family, it, it, it wasn't helpful, all right? So, again, just, just be aware of them. Um, and then some other just preferences, not too much chicken, please. If everybody sends the same thing, I mean, how many, you know, casseroles can you have and how many chilies and, you know, three weeks of that, um, grateful, but... Would have preferred something else. Um, yeah, and, and D is good. Not knowing what to say, so saying nothing. Okay? We, we need to say something. Um, even if it's, I'm praying for you, um, that's, that's a lot better than nothing. In fact, that's really the best thing you can do anyways. And so just to acknowledge that they're struggling and just send them a text, I'm praying for you, or, or face-to-face, however that may be. All right, other helpful resources. Um, You've got a list there of particular things. I want to make mention of this, too. Our Titus II women's ministry, a few years back, in light of somebody who had died, put together a little packet, and they they had me write letters. The the assumption was this is going to somebody who just lost a loved one. And so wrote a letter of, of comfort, wrote a letter of we're here. And then inside of that, a couple of very helpful resources. And some of those are up there, just little booklets or pamphlets, um, verses for those who are grieving. Just something that could be generic for anybody, but something for them to go to when maybe they're left alone and they need to remember who God is, his purposes, his promises, his precepts for them in the midst of that. And so something ready to hand off to people is, is a good thing as well. All right. Let me pray for us. If you have questions afterwards, feel free to come up during the break. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is kind and compassionate and tenderhearted. And uh, Lord, that even uh, our Savior 
Lord Jesus Christ, you suffered immensely. And we know that you are with us and able to relate to us and able to guide us as our good shepherd through the midst of these things, knowing that uh, though you have laid us down in green pastures and beside still waters, and though at times we go through the valley of the shadow of the death, ultimately at the other end, one day there is a banquet, a glorious banquet, the banquet of the Lamb when you come back and you gather your church. And at that banquet, uh, there will be no more sin, no more suffering. And so, Father, help us to live for that day. But in the meantime, help us to love you and others until then. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.